As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now in the studio by JJ Bull the Bullet. Hello, JJ. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good, and as you can see, I work for TIFO. Yes, I can see that very loud and clear, and I like the way it looks. Now, for listeners who can't see JJ, he's wearing a delightful yellow T-shirt, just hanging ever so softly and sweetly off of his uh, his uh, breastplate, uh, with a big uh, black TIFO logo across it, which is nice. And I'm wearing this nice white T-shirt. And Would you like to describe it for the listener? It has a pitch on it with little circles which denote um, individual players mm. and the passing uh, movement towards Zinedine Zidane scoring a goal at Hamden Park yeah. in the Champions League final. And it's got a little TIFO logo on it at the yes. top as well. To show that you also work for TIFO. To show that I also work for TIFO. Um, if you'd like to work for TIFO, you can buy <laughs> a T-shirt. <laughs> you can't buy them yet though. Because of suspense, you'd probably be able to get them next week. Seb, what are you wearing? I'm just wearing a normal non-TIFO branded jumper. I don't quite right. work for TIFO, so that's kind of appropriate. You're wearing a cricket jumper no, that you probably got when you studied at Eton. Yeah, no, but yeah. it's it's not like that. Mm. But I, I could have got many sure. of them. They were generally gold rather than white, though. Kind of like the TIFO yellow, but nicer, shinier. Right, okay. So <laughs> this is the first ad for our merch, and your role here is to say it's rubbish. That's good. Anyway, guten tag. Herr Stafford Bloor, all the way from Germany there, calling in through the power of online. Now, if you like the power of online, I think one thing that you'll really, really like is TIFO merch. No, not that. It's The Athletic. If you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that the power of online fills you and your whole being with joy and football knowledge, such as it did to me this weekend, JJ, when I read, uh, well, actually it was Monday morning, I read Michael Cox's piece uh, on uh, Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United, uh, the sort of lack of pressing, the pressing issue, something Alex and I spoke about last uh, week on the on the podcast, reaffirmed what I already thought, which is one of the reasons I like reading things. Also, 99% of the things I'm reading on there I haven't already thought, which is the other upside. I'm glad to hear that. Do you want me to contribute something else to this? No, that's good enough. Well, I think it's great too. Great. Well, there we go. Now, if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you will find that there's a 30-day free trial there for you to take advantage of. Uh, And I encourage you to do so. Fill your life with online. Now, 
Uh, today's episode, we'll be discussing uh, Newcastle Tottenham, Watford, Liverpool, Leicester, Man United. We'll talk a little bit about Chelsea, um, uh, and some, a little bit about uh, Alex Uwobi if we have time. Also Man City, Pedri at Barcelona. Seb wants to talk about St. Pauli, so hopefully we won't make it to that bit. And also he wants to talk about Lazio and Inter again. Hopefully we don't make it to that bit. So all that's left for me to do for this introduction now is uh, say I will leave you in the uh, the cool hands and the warm embrace of uh, Herr Stafford Bloor and Mr. Bull. Let us begin with uh, Newcastle 2 3 Tottenham. Hmm. Things we confirmed this weekend, Seb. Newcastle, still bad. Uh, Tottenham, also bad, but not as bad as Newcastle. Would you like to elaborate on that? No, not really. That's kind of the conversation that we had on WhatsApp yesterday. Newcastle, bad. Yes. Tottenham, bad, but not so I did, bad. I used different words. Yeah, we used harsher words, words that we won't use on the podcast. Sure. Nastier, you know, more cutting words. Yeah, but yeah. pretty much uh, after about 15 minutes, it did seem as if Tottenham would be very, very bad in capital letters and exclamation marks. Because if you could assume one thing about that game, it was that Newcastle were going to have lots and lots of energy and lots of enthusiasm. The crowd was going to be really up for it. And uh, Tottenham knew all of those things, chose to ignore them and conceded a goal inside about 80 seconds, which is about yeah. as Tottenham as it could possibly get. But they came back and they played pretty well. The uh, jury is still out a little bit on what they are, but there were good moments. Lucas Morris played very well. Lucas Mora knew when to pass the ball, which is uh, an unusual thing. Mora is a beat two players, then try and beat three others kind of footballer. But sure. I think particularly for the, the third Spurs goal, he saw what a good player he can be when he, he kind of rations himself. Uh, Tangin Domble was fun. Interestingly enough, obviously, uh, I was watching the game at home in Germany. And by the end of it, um, the German commentators were just giggling at Ndombele's touches. His kind of, um, his elasticos and his little bits of skill. And that you could just, because they, they record in a, a studio rather than in the ground itself. So you, the audio isn't quite as um, isolated. So you can just hear sure. the odd little bit of off-camera mirth going on. Um, right. And yeah, I fun. really noticed that during lockdown, by the way. I don't know if you heard this, JJ, when you were watching. Uh, I would watch all the games without the crowd noise. I hated the artificial crowd sound. Uh, but you would hear the commentators breathing. And you particularly would hear Gary Neville like talking to someone in the background whenever he wasn't actually talking. I yeah. Always straining to hear. Did you... What, what was he saying? Did you also hear every now and again, during moments of excitement, you'd hear a, a commentator from a rival channel or radio station cut across yeah, the feed yeah. and so you could hear so you'd be listening to Martin Tyler and you could hear um, uh, maybe Peter Drury on the on the world sure. feed in the background it's very interesting I bet the royalties racked up sure did pretty sure that's not how it no, works I always so. enjoy being in the press box uh, being in the fortunate position where you get to go to those, those places sure. and you see the commentators doing the commentary yeah. next to you that's cool it's amazing Yeah, like there's Martin Keown doing some cool commentary yeah. behind me well, why am I here? It's weird that you said amazing, and then your first thought was to go to Martin Keown. There's probably well, probably a few others that you. He's just fixed. trying his best. Anyway, in this game, I really enjoyed how the cameras repeatedly cut to Amanda Stavely <laughs> and uh, Al Rumayan, which was uh, very funny to me. Uh, I did read an enjoyable tweet by someone. I can't remember who it was. It might have been a friend of the podcast, Nick Miller, 
Maybe not. I could be wrongly attributing. But anyway, let's say it was Nick Miller. He said, uh, I'll, I'll be fine with them repeatedly cutting uh, the camera over here, provided that they also do it every time Spurs score. Uh, and I noticed a, a bit of a sort of absence of that. You know, Some funny memes over the weekend, though, of course. There was one of Al Roman looking at his phone, and then the next picture was uh, John Joe Shelby's Wikipedia page. <laughs> and I did think he had the distinct look of a man who won't be playing for Newcastle next season. Uh, as he trudged off the pitch following his uh, second yellow card, Seb. Yeah, it was kind of classic John Joe, because what's the best possible outcome there? You, I mean, maybe you save a goal, but I don't think it was, it wasn't that sort of last man tackle that was denying a certain goal, it was denying an opportunity. Sure. So all he really yeah. achieved was making sure that he doesn't have to play in whichever game Newcastle have next. Yeah, because I mean, they were already 3-1 down. They were already 3-1 down and it felt like all the all the air had gone out of the occasion, particularly after what happened to the uh, supporter. Yeah. Who, by the way, while recording, we, we're um, lace news is that they're absolutely fine or that they're recovering well and should be should be okay. So, mm. um mm-hmm. But there was in the in the um, in the director's box. There was a kind of distinct impression of, oh, this is football, and yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. It was um, very strange, very strange. You watched some of this game, didn't you, uh, JJ? I saw all the second half. You saw all the second half. How long? How how sort of how far do Newcastle have to go to not be bad? Um, they don't have very good players, and I can tell you how long it takes from my football manager say from FM twenty one, which is a season. Right, and you just buy all Wonder Kids, uh, get some loanies from Barcelona in, yeah, and baby, you got a stew cooking. <laughs> that's how they got to do it. Do you think that's likely to happen in real life? Well, um, do you think Newcastle will buy all the Wonder Kids and get some Barcelona loanies? I think they're going to have to start with the manager first. Uh, it seems increasingly clear that Steve Bruce is, yeah, going to be allowed to leave. Sure, uh, the club, and whoever they bring in will then want to identify players they want to. He uh, or she wants to sign mm-hmm. for the club, but that'll be, they can't sign too many at once. Like the kind of golden rules that you don't sign more than three or four at a time, first team players, because there's just no way really to make that gel. Yes. So you have to do it slowly. It takes time. And there's players they could probably sign, people like uh, James Tarkovsky. We're going to try and cover this in a video soon, actually, on T4IRL. Yes, we are. Uh, a couple of players that they could probably get in who are coming towards the end of their contract that Newcastle could definitely afford to buy out and then have them early. So they're nice and ready. So that's, I imagine, what they do. But people like James Tarkovsky just improve individual positions. Look at their like defenders. Like Manquillo set up the one of the goals. I can't remember what was he set up. But he was also, I think, really at fault for the cross that Region puts in from the left. Mm-hmm. doesn't go out to the, the winger early enough. Like He's an experienced player. He should know quicker or know better to go out and do these things. Just doesn't do it. And that's where you get with better players. You don't have to worry so much about coaching them individually all of the time. Yes, those tiny little mistakes. Those yeah. little things that are, that you know they know they just haven't done. Yeah, like, like this this kind of player is so much better than ones in the championship, mm. yet is far removed from the sort of level that even Region is just much better than any player. Yeah. And St. Maximin um, seems to be doing a lot more with the ball, which is nice because he's yes. really fun to watch. We've talked about him a lot, haven't we? Yes, he's really good, though. He's fantastic. Yeah. It's nice to see Callum Wilson back as well. Uh, yeah. uh, his head, I know it was very early on in the game and there were relatively few chances <clears throat> of a similar accord later later thereafter, but a uh, lovely header. Well, Wilson would be one of the ones that I think they'd be able to not build around, but certainly keep but him, St. Maximin, um, Sean Longstaff. You want to keep some of the Newcastle, mm. uh, what's the word? Blood. 
I was going to say like nebulous, but that's not what I mean. You mean the sort of... Uh, the, 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 the People from Newcastle, basically. Yes. Keep the core of the club locals. and the cells of the captain, that, that sort of thing in. Yeah, sure. the locals in. Do you know what I think is funny? Uh, and I'll address this to you, Seb. I think it's funny that um, Frank Lampard is now the favourite uh, to take the job, or at least is uh, head of the odds, best odds for the next uh, Newcastle manager. Currently uh, four to one. There you go. And following, uh, following Frank is uh, Paolo Fonseca, and then Lucien Favre, and then Steven Gerrard. So, you know. It's quite telling, isn't it? Because we began the month talking about Antonio Conte. So, yes. a couple of days ago, Jose Mourinho very graciously remembered that he had a mm. deep personal connection with Newcastle. Well yes. remembered, Jose. Fantastic. Well remembered. Well remembered. <laughs> um, <laughs> And now we're talking about managers who are available or who have a few flaws or who have had some bad recent experiences. And this is the way Newcastle will go. Like in, we talked about timescale. Well, Newcastle are probably somewhere between 500 million and a billion pounds away from being Tottenham, Arsenal. And that's not really anywhere. That's just kind of, you're not a challenger. Mm. Um, so very, very difficult. I don't think Frank Lampard ends up going to Newcastle. I don't, uh, I think he ends up probably taking some kind of age group job with the FA at some point. I don't see him. He's not proven at all that he'd be right for that. Well, he's only had like two jobs really, but it wasn't amazing at Derby. They're pretty inconsistent. Uh, and they just fell apart afterwards. Uh, Gerard at Rangers genuinely, he's probably a bit inexperienced because it's a club build rather than just a team build that you've yeah. got to, to have there. So you'd think someone older and more versed in just man management, really, more experience yeah. of that would be well, better so suited. Someone who knows what happens to a club over the course of three or four years. Right? Yeah, for you sure. Want like a sort of, I think you want a David Moyes type character. Like a good version of Steve Bruce. Yeah. You need someone that can deal with flux because yeah. it's not going to be like um, 2003 Chelsea. It's not going to be like the early days of Manchester City because it's it's just not. But you're going to have to deal with a squad which changes shape quite regularly and quickly. You're going to have to deal with mm. lots of different personalities. And it's a really boring answer, but it, it's a situation which calls for experience. Somebody knows how to... You need, you need a bit of pragmatism because you're not, you're not going straight to mid-table yeah. security. You're going to fight no. a relegation battle. Well, don't, don't you think, though, but on, on that basis, Seb, that uh, I know we joke about uh, Mourinho thankfully remembering... Uh, he kind of is the perfect manager for this scenario because also like they will lose lots of games over the next few years. Mourinho, uh, we know now, is a, a manager who presides over teams that do lose games. Uh, but it, it's his perfect underdog position, isn't it? Like it, it, it just feels right for him. He also is quite fond of speaking out against his hierarchy, executives and owners. Not sure what sure. they. Uh, not sure that that's the exactly what PIF have have signed up for with this one. Um, he's too confrontational. He's too abrasive. He's he's not your he's not a hearts and minds guy, is he? Really? <laughs> I think he'd be right for it. I think he's I right think for he, it. He's I think he's exactly, he's right exactly the, the the club is exactly the right position for him. He'd have the money to spend, uh, but also he'd have all the excuses in the world. They wouldn't get rid of him for years. He could be there for three or four years, right? And as we've seen in the past, like Mourinho has really thrived when he's been at underdog clubs and Newcastle would very much be an underdog. Well, we'll have to see. We don't even know what the management structure of the club is sure. above what the actual manager is and how yeah. likely they are to fire underperforming managers mm -hmm. and what their, I suppose what their targets will be to hit, mm. which is why I thought like Gerard, although 
like I said, inexperienced in that club building part of it. He did take Rangers when they were in a very, not precarious position, but he turned them into a title winning team. Like he did do that with yeah. a, a good amount of staff around him, which might be where he can take that job and then try and get a Liverpool job afterwards if he does okay with it. Yeah. I mean, how do you get experience unless you do the thing? Maybe he'd be perfect for it. Do the thing. Yeah. Because they're yeah. going to put a whole scouting network in, right? So it's not going to be him about recruitment. It's going to be a whole joint mm-hmm. adventure. I wonder which Newcastle player Jose Mourinho would hate the most. <laughs> I mean, you want to say John Joe Shelby just because that's where your, that's where your heart goes. There's no pressing. But I, I don't know. There's, there's about nine of them that he would just... You know that thing he does where, where he deli alleys someone? He Mkhitaryan's them into sure. kind of the squad's netherworld. It's like he, you could he yeah. create a kind of a small army of players that would just... You know, put onto a sort of a faraway training pitch. Yeah. yeah, we could call them Newcastle. Anyway, let's move on now uh, to uh, quickly reference Seb, a piece that uh, you and I sort of both read over the weekend, um, written by Adam Crafton, which was uh, called "Risking Death to Tell the Truth: Saudi Arabia's uh, LGBT Plus Community." Uh, quite heartbreaking read, wasn't it? But I figured it would be in the middle of this conversation, it'd be a useful thing to uh, to point towards. Yeah, I learned a lot. I didn't know an awful lot of what I read. Um, well done to Adam. Fantastic journalism. Uh, and not just because it's an athletic piece. It's genuinely a must-read. Uh, harrowing. But I I spent the last couple of weeks sort of reading through the sort of the, the, the fan reactions and the, oh, we can't be held responsible and we, we um, this is our football club and, you know, we, we weren't part of bringing these owners in. And, okay, if that's the, if that's the angle, okay. But then I think it's really, really important to educate yourself um, to understand what um, is happening here, what the process is um, that Newcastle are undertaking under new ownership, um, and also what it's providing a fig leaf or a mask for. As an article to read, it's, um, it's deeply upsetting because in 2021, you kind of want to believe, and when you live in the West, it's very easy to convince yourself of this, that things like this don't really happen anymore, and that um, people aren't subject to this kind of treatment. Um, it's pertinent. It's very relevant. I saw a few responses uh, amongst the terrible abuse that Adam actually received um, for writing that, which was tediously predictable and awful, obviously. A lot of the, sort of the, the um, responses from, from Newcastle supporters were about, well, you know, what's this got to do with Newcastle United? Well, now, everything. Everything. Um, and I don't think that's particularly unfair to, to kind of draw that line because... Um, yeah, the issue at the heart of the takeover was the lack of separation between PIF and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, the state. And the Premier League are convinced of that, but nobody within the general public has been educated as to what that separation is and where it exists. So it's very, yeah. very fair at the moment until people are um, uh, instructed otherwise, until they are, until they're educated about this, to conflate the two. I, I believe of the, uh, you know. I don't know, six or seven um, members involved from the PIF. The uh, the director, who is now Al-Ramayan, is the only one who isn't uh, part of the Saudi government in some way or another, or a member of the of the royal family. You know, like the idea that there is a separation between the public investment fund and the uh, the government and royal family of Saudi Arabia is 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 ridiculous because the whole purpose of the Fund is to, is yeah, well, to serve the interests of the nation. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And also, the Premier League haven't explained how they are convinced this is of the, the problem, separation. Joe. Like, there's been nothing from Richard Masters. There's been a very short and very obviously PR statement from the Premier League. Now, if Newcastle fans want to be angry at people's reaction, maybe direct your anger towards the Premier League, um, because 
if you believe that there is a separation and if you believe that it's legitimate, okay, but nobody else has been told exactly what it is. And, you know, if you look at it, if you approach it um, from a, just a, a normal person, you look at what PIF is. Go on the website, for instance. You could, even if you're a Newcastle fan, I understand the relief of Ashley being gone. I get that completely. And I understand um, the excitement of a new era. Get that too. But it's a very, very easy assumption to make. And it's a very, very fair assumption to make that they are one and the same. Um, and until sure. the differences, until the Premier League shares the, sure, the assurances it's received, then that's going to continue. I like the idea that the assurances they've received it, it come in the form of a letter that reads, yeah. I assure you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll say that they're, they're sort of, that they're, they're legally binding because, well, if there's a breach, what happens next? The Premier League yeah. sues who? The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure yeah. that would go that well. Well, no, that, yeah. I think that I think they said that they in in this scenario that they were no longer assured or convinced of the separation that they would then uh, have to put the government of Saudi Arabia through the owners and directors test. Right, and I don't think well, any of these things are going to happen. So, no, I think that's unlikely. Anyway, uh, we'll put a link piece. to Adam Crafton's piece, piece um, um, below the podcast. It really is, it, it is, uh, it's, you know, a weird thing to call it good uh, because it is horrible to read, uh, but I would encourage everyone to read it. There are things in there that I did not know, specific references to uh, the kinds of cure therapy that uh, take place in Saudi Arabia, and there's some extremely unpleasant uh, graphic passages. Some of the people who contribute to that are quite a lot of bravery. So a lot of people who have every reason to be very afraid about um, speaking honestly about their own lives and their own experiences and uh, yeah, full of admiration for, for what they're willing to share. Um, sickening and horrible though it was. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, well, listen, let's move on now to talk about uh, Watford nil 5 Liverpool. JJ, uh, you told me over the weekend that Mohamed Salah's pass for the first Sane goal. Sane goal? Mane. Mane goal. Sane used to play for Man City. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I watched a little bit of that game over the weekend, and the commentator was calling him Zene. Do they do that in Germany, Seb? They call uh, Leroy Sana. He was calling him Zena. Yeah. 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 Okay. I need to. I need to get up on that. Uh, anyway, for the Mane goal, you said it was the best pass you'd ever seen from Mo Salah. Yes. One. Of, one of the. It'll be the assist of the season. Assist of the season. Assist of the season. Yes. Do you really think so? It's amazing. If it was, uh, I don't want to do this thing. But I'm going to do it anyway. If mm. it was Messi, we'd be going, "Wow, isn't that the best pass you've ever seen?" Would we? So it's outside of his left foot. If it was right-footed, it's so perfect to get around the defense the way that Manny gets onto it that you think it was a great pass. It's mm. like a Beckham-style curl, but it's outside of his left. The vision to see where he is from that position on the pitch that he's in, yeah, is amazing. Like the technique and the vision for it is. Top, top, top tier. Sure. It's amazing. Well, we have a video coming out uh, this weekend, I believe, uh, 
titled Is Mo Salah the best player in the world right now? I believe Alex and I discussed this a little bit last weekend, but your thoughts, por favor, the bowl? Uh, I think he's the most informed player in the yeah, world. Sure. I still think Messi is the little alien that does things that mm. shouldn't be possible. Mm. But Salah is, uh, yeah, at his absolute peak just now. And Liverpool look very, very good. Like yeah, so JJ favorites. said uh, they're going to win the league. I don't have a problem with that. There's a weird thing which has flared up. <laughs> don't have which a is with it. No, but it's, I, I've seen it in a few places. There's, um, there's a, a little bit of a kind of an underdog um, attitude flaring up around Liverpool, which is kind of... Sure. I get it. Well, they're used to it, aren't they? Well, like, that's what they're used to. No, I mean, I, I get it because I, I think it's something I said to myself at the beginning of the season. Like, they're, they're one of the... They're the only contender not to have gone out and spent a huge amount of money on a single player. And so that can kind of create the... Um, perception of underdog and you know they are at a little bit of a disadvantage financially yes but they remain a really good team um, they are yeah. also they remain a good team who haven't really um, integrated well Ibrahim Kanate hasn't really featured that much this season um, played a couple of games at mm-hmm. most so there's still you know there's still a few still improvement to to see from them um, mm. but that forward lines I mean with the caveat that Diogo Jota is is unavailable, I, I'm not sure for how long, but for a few weeks, um, it was it's kind of interesting to see Mane, Firmino, and Salah playing that well again, albeit against Watford. But we haven't seen like that chemistry for probably a couple of years, actually. Yeah. I think so. Watford were awful. Yeah, yeah like for defensively, sure. the shape's terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really poor. I guess they're making a fresh start under new manager, and perhaps. Um... Well, Ranieri said he thought. They seemed a bit nervous, like they were they were at home, um, and they seemed maybe they were nervous to impress the new manager or something. If that is them trying to impress the new manager, yeah. <laughs> like they were all over the place. <laughs> they, they, um, they did a little bit of analysis and match the day. It was really, it's not even worth going too into. They're just people being dragged out of position too easily. Mm-hmm. Had no idea what the shape was supposed to be. The boys up top weren't coming back to to track what they need to do. I don't think they're very good at all, Watford. So they're oh, sorry, I thought we'd started talking about Manchester United. You're, you're still talking about Watford. Yes. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I'm still talking about Watford. Ha. Oh, I see you're doing a bit. Was I thought it? I'd like zoned out. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was trying, I was trying to do a joke, and I, I genuinely no, thought that's what I'd no done. No response at all. Mm. <laughs> Carry on, please. Okay. Oh, that's weird. I thought I'd like skip five minutes of my life, and while well, I was talking live to you. <laughs> Uh, oh yes, Watford rubbish, Liverpool really good. You know, I read the other day, I can't remember if it was James Pearce or Simon Hughes, but one of the uh, the Athletics Liverpool beat writers, um, writing about Jurgen Klopp saying he was leaving in, in, in 2023. I didn't realise this was a kind of known thing anyway. He said he's going to finish then and take a bit of a break or whatever. Uh, this piece was about uh, trying to convince him to stay, letting him have a year out or whatever and to come back, uh, which I believe is something that's been offered to previous uh, Liverpool managers in the past. So the club has a sort of has some previous in that. I didn't realise he was uh, planning on leaving in two years' time. Well, his contract expires the exact same day, or it certainly was, as Steven Gerrard's expires at Rangers. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, but it, it seems to, the noises that I have heard around Klopp were that he wants to not do too many other jobs there. He just, he does his career the way he's done it and doesn't really, he's not going to be a nomadic no. going around clubs to find something. Sure. So either he'd end up at Germany as the national manager or he'd go to Bayern, which is what everyone in Germany eventually does if there any use. Yeah. So it could be the Bayern and Germany then done. But well, based on how well Nagelsmann seems to be doing with Bayern at the moment, maybe. But there's only a, uh, so long your your shelf life is. What? Sure, mm. I, don't, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you know what I mean. So like, Nagelsmann will be there for however long he is, and he'll want to move on to something else. You always have to keep moving on. Maybe three years is kind of the cycle you get for most managers now. Don't overstay your welcome at Liverpool. No matter, 
how well he's doing at the time. I think it'd be, you know, it's it's like ending uh, a TV show when you want to end it at the right time. Like yeah. the US office ended at the right time anymore, put good harm to it. Well, but how long has he been there? He's been there now. Nine seasons. <laughs> nine seasons. No, I, I mean uh, the US office. He's not been the US office. He's been there not much since, shorter than I think that, 2015. Right? He arrived in 2015, so he's been there for six years. So two more years would make it eight. That would make it eight years. A long time for a manager. It's kind of like two teams he's built as well. Because he built the first one that ended up being... I mean, that first Liverpool team that won the league was so, so good. Yeah, like one of the, I, yeah it just blew everyone away. And hasn't really done a, a rebuild of it, but added to it and tried to kind of mm. blood new players in, like Harvey Elliott's coming through. And you see mm. Curtis Jones now really standing out as a player. And Diogo Yota makes him a lot better as well. Um, it's interesting to see how that, that goes, because like, Borussia Dortmund didn't end very well for him because he had that really terrible season, um, which I think Seb would know more about than I do, because you will have watched them more than I did. But then he managed to recover that, right? After the winter break, it came good, and he left after that season. That was him yeah, done. it started as an absolute catastrophe, with, and then there was a recovery. But then the recovery seemed to coincide with it being accepted that he was going to leave the club. Um, it was one of those where, like, no, I don't think this is a situation you need to cop, because you see it with managers who are quite emotionally intense and who um, try to, to foster a, um, a kind of particularly tight form of cohesion. Like, it's just a fraying at some point. Um, when Mourinho was, you know, Pete Mourinho, it used to happen to him. Happens to Guardiola. Like at some point, people, players under Guardiola, just they get bored of his intensity. Um, and Dortmund, yeah, there's a couple of a couple of injuries in Dortmund. There were some disappointments they didn't quite recover from. Um, but yeah, like it's a, I mean, it's like a different situation, but basically one of those. Yeah. And it changes a person as well over that amount of time. Like the difference with Mourinho and Guardiola and stuff when they were super intense, they were younger, they had more energy, they were new to it. Like there's a vibrancy they had about being a new manager. And I remember it was a, a thing. I think either Arsene Wenger said it or someone pointed it out to me that Wenger, when he was first at uh, Arsenal. Was he wasn't that old? He was like mid forties, forty four, something like that. Um, and his Invincibles teams, he would have been. So that would be he could be almost their pal, the players' pal at that age. But then by the time he gets the Invincibles, he'd have been more like most of their dads. By the time he left, he'd have been a lot of the players' kind of granddad's age. Just the difference in like how you relate to those players mm. and the way you talk to them differed. Like Alex Ferguson had to differ the way he talked to players over time. <laughs> what up, Ronaldo? That's <laughs> wicked. Mm, mm, I feel yes. you exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Now, listen, let's discuss uh, Leicester 4 to Manchester United. Uh, here's Manchester United's run coming up. And again, we, talk, we won't linger on this for too long because Alex and I talked about this last week, but we haven't heard from Seb for a couple of weeks. And, and JJ on this topic, JJ, who I know is a big fan of, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, so we'll uh, come to discuss that shortly. But Manchester United's run over the coming few weeks that JJ believes Ole will perform extremely well in. Atalanta, Liverpool, Tottenham, Atalanta, City, Watford, Villarreal, Chelsea, Arsenal. And then I've just written <laughs> at the end of that. <laughs> JJ, do you want to explain why you are so convinced that Solskjaer is, a, is, is a, quote, the best manager you've ever seen? <laughs> uh, good, this is excellent wind-up. Um, I think Solskjaer has done a good job of being the Manchester United manager and I think is often unfairly maligned mm. due to the things such as the way he looks and sounds and is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think some of it's really, uh, some of it's a little bit cruel. However, um, increasingly, yeah, there is a little bit of a lack of, I don't know, people change their opinion of all this social all the time about like when they start winning, sure. they're like, oh, he's doing really well, what a mm. good manager. And when he starts losing, which is why you I'm trying not to, to do same that world. same yeah. thing. <laughs> For now I think he's bad. Missing some of the, uh, yeah. 
yeah, anyway. Yeah. But yes, uh, the problem he's got is they've got... His tactical system is built around individuals being able to do... There's a tactical system. I didn't realise well, there was one. They play a 4 two, three, one. yes. Hello? Sorry, go on, yeah. please continue. And uh, they tend to do well against good teams. Right, But right. then they don't do so well against, I don't know, lesser sides. Like... I mean, Leicester are a good team and they had their best performance Sorry, of I mean, the like, season. Like a big famous one. So a like, big famous like Liverpool, one. they're playing on the weekend. I bet they're really well set up and they play very well against Liverpool. Sure. I, I bet that'll happen. Right. And against Leicester, too many players look like they weren't quite into it. I mean, Pogba and Matic in the middle of the pitch, they had an awful lot of distance to cover vertically and laterally because the, this shape is not all over the place, but it just didn't work. It seemed a bit Sunday league-ish the way the team was set up. There was no drive. There was no press. I think we talked about this before, but um, when you have Ronaldo there, uh, he doesn't do any pressing whatsoever, which means the three behind him or maybe a four behind him have to withdraw. They have to come back. So well, they Fernandez has taken to standing in front of him to be the press, but then Ronaldo doesn't press from behind. So Ronaldo, like in the defensive form, appears in the 10 role because Fernandez has to run past him to defend. Yeah. It's, it is And shocking. Fernandez doesn't even do that much pressing normally. This no. is the weird thing. There was a video I saw um, where it compared Ronaldo, what in a pass, I think it's from Matic, against Villarreal, he wants a pass from Matic, doesn't get it, it goes ahead of him, he just sort of gives up and goes... And then Cavani just decides to like put the turbo boosters on like in yeah. Rocket League and, and blast over it, gets boosted along the way, sure. gets the ball... Mm. Goes up the wall. Goes up the wall. Does jumps a musty off flick it, aerial. Does a little fl- uh, a somersault. A flip reset. Yes. Yeah. Lands, and the giant ball still bouncing. Yeah. But that he keeps it in play, and that's what you need. Even, even though it doesn't, you know, he's not going to score from the angle he gets at. Ronaldo yeah. only wants it. He's going to do something magic with it. But Cavani is just pushing it. And it's very interesting that Cavani's. I wonder if he's almost doing that to show Ronaldo like this is the effort you need to put in. Sure. It's a couple of years between them in age, I think. But I think the thing with Cavani is that he's always been an effort filled player you know like even when he played sure. at PSG even when he was on the wing and it wasn't his natural pressing position forward, yeah. like he's always put uh, he seemed to put everything there is into a game Seb it's funny isn't it he appears to be exactly what United need at the moment and you question again whether he'll you know whether he'll start uh, against Liverpool probably not right yeah because it's it's a real shame if you think to think back to last season a lot of the things that a lot of the good about Man United's attack was about him both in terms of sort of sure. his goals and movements, contribution, but also yeah. the example he set. One of the things that we discussed when Ronaldo joined, uh, one of the things that was discussed at large was, oh, he sets this great example, and you know people aren't eating peanut butter anymore, and you know they're just eating rice cakes for <laughs> supper and all that stuff. And it's like, well, you had a lot of that yeah, with Cavani because tea, Cavani's yeah. a great role model too for a lot of these young players. He's a good professional. He's had a very long career. He's been very successful. Ronaldo. Mm. I was watching during my time off. I was watching um, the Mexico series of Narcos, and there's a scene where um, all the drug dealers uh, come to a big party and they're paying tributes to the big boss. And one group buys um, Felix a tiger, and it's this massive great yeah. tiger. They wheel into his house and they just mm. leave it there. Be like, tell oh. us in more detail. Well, tell us more about this. The tiger's really big. Um, yeah. The party is very lavish, and the, the, this guy lives on a big. Is it nice there? It seems nice. It's a little bit gauche for my taste. Um, sure, you know, sure. you know, drug dealers not known for subtlety, particularly when yeah. it comes to kind of decorating. Um, Do you know why that is? They've got because too much Because the drug money. dealers that are, are, are subtle aren't known. Mm-hmm. That's very, that's very fair. That's they don't very get fair. Series on Netflix about them. Yeah, well, they don't get arrested. They just yeah. make loads of money and then have a nice life. 
So sorry, do go yeah, on. Tell us, keep keep telling your story about the tiger. Yeah. So the tiger's yeah, there, yeah. and the boss is like, "Well, you know, thanks, but he's not overly enthusiastic." And that's because what do you do with the tiger? Like you've you've given someone a tiger, and like superficially, thank you because that's a unusual gift. But then you have to look after the tiger, and the tiger is in your garden, and Ronaldo is the tiger. And Solstjar, I guess, is is just... What have you done to Seb, <laughs> JJ? This sounds like something you would say. But it's, it's true, because Ronaldo is, Ronaldo is something that, if as a football manager, you should want, but something that within the confines of your team is quite dangerous and yeah. is a threat. And this is this is kind of what's happened. Like, sure. in Ronaldo, Solstjaer has a player that he can't really take off without creating an atmosphere. He can't drop because... Well, Ronaldo didn't come to Man United again to to sit on the bench, um, and he's created all these problems that he now has to navigate with yeah. also a lot of players that aren't really suited to. to well, this is this is you're absolutely right, Seb. Because I was reading uh, Laurie Whitwell's piece over the weekend, um, and he said something which was which was interesting. I think which sums this up very well. Uh, he said, Solskjaer has escaped situations like this before. Very true. Uh, as JJ, uh, uh, you know, alluded to before, people are very quick to kind of get on the back of Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when things aren't going particularly well. And they've gone through difficult runs of fixtures before, played well against big teams, as JJ said. But the key difference here, as Laurie points out, uh, is uh, that uh, Solskjaer could uh, justifiably point to previously uh, United being in, in transition. A young team emerging from the trauma of Jose Mourinho's era and growing together. Now, though, United have matured to a point where expectations of a genuine title challenge are entirely valid, Seb. Yeah, because the thing about Man United, and it feels like it's been this way for maybe eight or nine years, most of the years since Ferguson's departure, that... It's always about players at Man United. You know, get me these three players, these three players, these players. I need to play in this position, this position, this position. Man United still have positional shortages. I mean, I don't think the, their issues in midfield, defensive midfield, need any more coverage. Legitimately, they need a couple of players in there. But the scale and scope of that problem has been wildly exaggerated. It's, it's turned into this yeah. kind of unmanageable set them floor. Back hugely. Yeah, it's a problem. But then... Most teams have problems and Manchester United has spent an awful lot of money in many different positions now on the defence, on the attack, on the midfield too. And it, you can't, I, I have some th- sympathy with, with JJ's position on Solskjaer because I think he's done some good things at Man United culturally. Like I think that he's created something in the club that yeah. was missing. He has created a certain sense of identity. I know it's a bit of a trite thing to say, but it's true. Um, there are some similarities sure. with what worked well before Ferguson retired. The coaching structure is interesting. I don't, I'm not sure they have quite the right people in those roles, like in the Michael Carrick position, Kieran McKenna. I don't, I don't know whether that's a, you know, I, I'm not saying that they're not. I just, I'm not sure. Um, but the approach above seems to be to decorate a team with, with the kind of superstars that they don't have the right manager to manage, if that makes sense of the sentence. Um, it just doesn't, the jigsaw doesn't fit together. It doesn't mean that you have to damn Solstra. It's just that he seems increasingly like he doesn't quite have the muscle to wrangle his tigers. There we go. I'd like to see another manager who, I mean, everyone has 
uh, I think Mauricio Pochettino has always talked about it. It's been like, oh, they should get Poch. He's the best manager ever. Um, currently not doing very amazing things with PSG. This is one of my favourite JJ squad. points. He brings this up after three or four drinks in the pub. <laughs> anyway, Pretty regularly. Here we go. Here we right, go. So, but Everyone how do you make this Man United team press? You can't really do it. Like um, Sancho was used to doing it. In no, a you've abandoned the point. No, no, no. This is part of it. No, you, your point. No, this is it. No, the point I like that you make in the pub is about how Pochettino uh, isn't like. Uh, the player, the manager, everyone He's thinks not the he best is. manager of all time, no. Well, no, no, that's... But has, any, right, has, anyone, has anyone claimed him to be? Oh, it feels like everyone loves Poch, you're all on about him. Anyway, Greenwood, Fernandez, Sancho, you're not getting an awful lot of press out of them, right? So Ronaldo's not doing it, and they're not doing it. It leaves most of the team behind it. Pogba and Matic, really slow in possession. Another Pogba mistake in this game that gives away the ball for, I think, a Leicester goal, or sure. at least a chance. It's too much pressure on the, the back line, and the way that they try and build out from the back is a... Yeah, the way they build it from the back isn't ideal because different players don't do what they're supposed to be doing and Wan-Bissaka can't rely on to get the ball forward. Mm. Players like McTominay can't pass it forward. They can run with it sometimes. Um, becomes a problem. Like, the weird thing, like they bought Varane, obviously a very good defender, but Lindelof's like their best um, creator of chances at the moment because he can hit those long balls over the top. Sure. Because you can't really press with the United, so you have to engage in a different way, mm-hmm. which draws the opposition out. And then if they pull, push out with a high line, in theory... Lindelof's really useful to get the ball over the top for players like Greenwood, Ronaldo, Sancho and Fernandez to get on the mm-hmm. end of. Mm-hmm. But you can't rely on that as your chances because that's essentially long ball football. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, if you put Pochettino in there now, would he be able to make that team press? You wouldn't get Ronaldo pressing. So would he play him? You play Cavani, it becomes another problem. Bench him. Well, yeah, but then you've got Ronaldo on the bench. So? It'd be an issue. Uh, I'd bench him, for sure. Oh. He, I honestly think, like, if he wasn't there... Yeah, they'd be playing a lot better. They don't know what to do because he's oh, there. Oh, possession, one hundred percent agree. They, they've called yeah. that disease think- too, where like every player feels that they need to. When when a when a when a passenger player develops, particularly the young players seem to feel the need to pass to him. Whatever's happening, it's except kind of, Mason Greenwood, which is why Mason I think Greenwood. Mason Greenwood is the greatest player. But, but of all I, the time. I I like Mason Greenwood as a nine. Like I I sure I, me too. He's not a pressing player. We've talked about that. He's not. He doesn't really have much. Hasn't learned or isn't sort of able to kind of show much defensive responsibility. Fine, but then he's a really talented goal scorer. And this is quite one of the things we talked about a few months ago about what would happen when Ronaldo joined. It's like you have to move all of these other players out of their out of better positions. And like I know what Cristiano Ronaldo was, and I know to an extent what he still is as a goal scorer. But he's not Manchester United's future. Um, it was a mistake. Yeah, of course. I it think was. like history will judge this as a critical error in that, was, in the building of that team because at the end of last season, yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. I think because at the end of last season, Solskjaer's United were on the up. You felt that whilst there were clear deficiencies within the team, uh, the vast majority of that, and I'm sort of repeating some of the things I said last week, so I'll keep it brief. But the vast majority of uh, of um, the transfer window was very um, was very impressive. It was very effective. That you know they had a better window uh, pre Ronaldo than they have done in, in many years before that. Um, and also, you felt that the team was gathering towards something. You know whether or not they were going to become title challengers. I think that was still um, uh, you know one vision too far. But the, re- seeing Ronaldo at the head of the team now. They're just honestly, they've gone. They, they've gone. They've gone back two to three years. It's 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 ruined. It's ruined something that was good. No, I I agree. And um, the thing is, like, it's not that I said United are basically a team of individuals, um, but those teams can still win things. Like, mm-hmm. I think best proven by that Real Madrid team that won the sure. three uh, Champions Leagues in a row. But who eventually became a team, even though they were individuals. Um, 
And I think there's a really good example in Michael Cox's piece on the, in The Athletic today about this game and the difference in how the two teams pressed, pointing out things we just talked about, Ronaldo and Fernandes and stuff like that. But you see the cohesion in how Leicester press, where everyone knows when to go and why and where, and it's a, it's a full team press. that You can't just press with the front three and everyone else is leaving space behind, because that just leaves space. It's easy to pass through, yeah. which happened again and again and again and again. So is it no wonder that Pogba and Matic were screwed in the game? Oh, 100%, like, because they've got too much space. Again, like vertically and laterally, like we just first touched at the very start, there was just too much space in the midfield. Just two of them, they needed three at least to be able to manage what they were doing against the midfield three of Leicester as well. And Fernandez is pushing forward to try and do the work that Ronaldo's not doing. It's, it's all over the place. But like the actual structure of the press is all wrong. And it's that, to me, seems like bad coaching. Mm-hmm. Because some of the players at United want to try and press to win the ball back, yeah. but they can't because of the way they're set up. But they don't know where yeah. they're meant to engage they when they're not. They didn't know what to do. Whereas Leicester, yeah, Leicester had a full court press, clearly very organised, coached. They knew exactly when to, what to do and when to do it, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, yeah, like Brendan Rodgers has got that team well well played. There was a moment in that game, and I, this is in the Michael Cox piece too, where um, it's a build-up phase in the second half, about 60 minutes, and the ball's with uh, the fullback, Steiner. Um, and Ronaldo turns around to Greenwood and, and sort of says, press that guy. And Greenwood, yeah, goes nothing. It just runs in a straight line. Uh, ball's cut in, mid- in field. I think back to one of the centre-backs and Leicester exit in a different way. And all that's really been achieved is that Greenwood is just miles up the pitch and out of the play and sure. not providing protection for his fullback. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's that, it's, it's it's something that gets said every now and again, but like like bad pressing, it's kind of worse than no pressing. Yeah, yeah and in that ex- example, a very specific part of it is because Greenwood runs in a straight line and not like you're supposed to curve your run yeah. just to block a pass somewhere else. So you're dictating where the next pass can go. And either Greenwood is just not being paying attention to what he's doing or doesn't know that in that situation he has to curve his run. It's either bad coaching or Greenwood switching off, which is again a sign of not being very well coached because you should you should know what to do in that situation. And just not making that curved run, running a straight line, means that Castagna has like two options to pass. So it's easy to get out through the press again, yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ah, we are back. Uh, Now, um, a little word on uh, Chelsea, Seb. Uh, Lukaku hasn't scored a goal for Chelsea in six games. Five games plus 14 minutes. Six games. Uh, You can kind of hear, like, the forces mobilising against him as well. And uh, I saw moving back in the direction of those conversations that used to happen uh, before he moved off into Milan. I feel a little bit sorry for him. I, I'm not sure he's being used yeah. in quite the right way. He seems to be... Well, this is what I was going to say. Yeah. This is what I'm going to ask you. They can't get a tune out of him. 
I just don't think they're creating quite the right opportunities. I mean, he the one he had a little bit of a hack over the bar in the in the second half, but that one opportunity he had in the first half, he tucked away quite nicely. Offside though, uh, you do see him isolated quite a lot. You do see him with his back to a defender and waiting for support players to gather around him a bit more than you might do. I think also one of the things that's hurting him is that the um, the sort of the Serie A that he ran wild over uh, was a little bit weaker than usual. Um, he played magnificently well and he was absolutely brilliant. I'm not trying to take away anything from his performances over there, but feels like um, the expectation that he would just drop back into the Premier League and be exactly what he was at Inter Milan um, is, I think, a little bit unrealistic. Um, also, listen, Chelsea Chelsea have been have had a sort of periodic absence of Mason Mount to cope with. Kai Harvitz hasn't started as many games as he might have done. I feel like he's a, um, a really important piece to have around Lukaku because of the way he plays. Um, and so we, we think about someone at Mount, like if you think about who we thrived around at Inter, Barella, obviously he did very well with. Um, uh, Hakimi, he did very well with as a sort of a, a supporting wing back. Um, Christian Eriksen was a towards the second half of the season was a very important part of the supply. So when you start taking some of these sort of um, attacking pieces away from him, Latura Martinez, his, his combination with Martinez in Serie A was at times breathtaking. He doesn't really have that. Timo Werner is not Latura Martinez in any way whatsoever. I, Werner has a, a purpose. Um, it's, very, it's actually very funny listening to German commentators watching Timo Werner because obviously he's had some really bad moments since he came to England and it's like a you know, like a, a mum or a dad at a sports day and the kid's not really very good and it's there's a little bit of like embarrassment to that come on you know <laughs> we still love you it's a little bit like that at times it's a little bit uncomfortable but obviously um, mm. Werner nowhere near the kind of the, the rounded talent that Martinez is in that position and so as a result you don't have that proximity that that Lukaku seemed to really benefit from, and um, so I got some sympathy. I don't think it's kind of always, you know, I don't think it's been any regression. I think he's been a bit mm. unlucky. No, but, no, no. Um, yeah. But I do fear for him because he he seems like quite a sensitive guy. He's always been quite sensitive to criticism, and his form always seems to have responded to what people are saying about him. I remember those like long goalless sequences at Man United where. Yeah. It just seemed like the conversation got too heavy and got on top of him. Um, so hopefully that doesn't happen this time, but hasn't been great. Um, maybe Chelsea were good enough over the weekend. Sure, they were fine. I mean, also Brentford were fun to yeah, watch though, JJ. Right. Very direct. Ben Chilwell apparently described the last half an hour as, quote, hell on earth. Mm. Mm. I'm not sure it was like that. No. Hell on earth. Well, I don't know. I mean, you're only really, you're, you're, you are uh, disputing a, a subjective opinion. Are we going to have this philosophical argument about the uh, what's worse? You mean the pub argument? Yes. Yes. I won the pub argument. By definition, it was a philosophical argument about the, the worst thing that could happen to to me mm. is equally as bad as the worst thing that happened to you. No, even see, if it's this not is the, the issue same. with you, is you, you, you still don't understand my argument. What anyway, you've done there is I really is like how the goalkeeper uh, kicks the ball far for Brentford. Mm. So whenever they win the ball, he gets it. He instantly punts out like it's Perivo and you do a manual kick, yeah. miles out, and then Tony takes it down and they go from there. Yeah. And it's like rugby, they get they gain territory like really quickly. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, very direct. They were unlucky not to score as Edward Mendy was pulling off Amazing saves. He's a really good goalie. Yep. He's really come on, I think. Well, as Seb pointed out, he uh, saved a number of shots with his face. 
Got to use everything you've got. Yeah. Especially the face. There we go. Use the face. Anyway, Man City, uh, Ferran Torres uh, said he's out for two to three months with a fractured foot. What a shame. Um, striker issues deepening there, I think. Particularly now that we've seen how good it looks like Liverpool might be this season. Uh, Man City have got something to live up to, haven't they? Yeah, because... Also, Torres is so important because it, it seems like, as with as in the international arena, Premier League defences don't quite know what to do with Ferran Torres because he doesn't really yeah. fit into yeah. the right bracket like he, he's the one yeah he's sort of a between position guy so you're not quite sure whether he's a winger or a forward or inside forward and he's kind of all of those things at the same time also i don't i i quite like gabriel jesus as a player but i don't feel good about relying on him because he's he's quite a patchy player also um and one of the things that probably um will become relevant in about a month's time is He's a he's a player that's playing international football for a red dust country. He will go off in uh, December again for in November again, sorry, for international duty, and mm. he will have to kind of you know suffer the um, the fatigue of travelling across time zones, playing football, travelling back. Um, and City is short in that position anyway because they don't really have another mm. centre forward who can come in and and deputise. And so without Torres, who allows them to do so many different things and also allows them to do the different things in other positions. Like, I feel like Torres is a good complement, is a better complement to someone like Grealish, probably De Bruyne because of the types of runs that yeah. Torres makes. Um, it's a problem. It's a problem. I think I think yeah. um, they have to do something in January, really. Well, maybe if they wanted to do something in January, JJ, they could uh, spend a billion euros to release Pedri from his uh, new Barcelona contract and turn him into a striker. <laughs> yes, and Pedri is not a striker. Seb, you wanted to talk about St. Pauli. I just wanted to talk about some. And now it's the oh, end of the podcast. No. I'm so sorry oh, about that. We so have close. actually just run out of time there. Producer Don doing, was uh, whistling you're doing in my the ear. Jimmy Kimmel, Matt it's Damon the end of the podcast. Um, let's just uh, kick him out of the Zoom call. Oh, I can't do that. Uh, end of the podcast there. Uh, thanks so much, Seb Stafford Bloor, Hair Stafford Bloor. Guten Tag. Um, no Danker for coming, of course. No Danker. Many Dankers. Many, many, many Dankers. <laughs> many Dankers. Um, and uh, all the best to the people of Germany when you see them. Yeah, I shall. Um, yeah. JJ Bull the Bullard, much appreciated. Thank you. Uh, get, any, get up to any, do any, uh, any uh, that's the end. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. What? We'll be back next week with more. Uh, with more from JJ Bull and Alex Stewart and Seb I don't know who's here Uh, thanks to producer Don and of course thanks to Adonis uh, producer Adonis too goodbye Athletic.